Section 20 of Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. The Boyhood of Fune, Chapter 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fano Jahangiri. Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. Fune went away, and now he was alone. But he was as fitted for loneliness as the crane is that hounds the solitudes and bleak wastes of the sea. For the man with a thought has a comrade, and Fion's mind worked as fitly as his body did. To be alone was no trouble to him, who, however surrounded, was to be lonely his lifeline. For this will be said of Fion when all is said, that all that came to him went from him, and that happiness was never his companion for more than a moment. But he was not now looking for loneliness, he was seeking the instruction of a crowd, and therefore when he met a crowd he went into it. His eyes were skilled to observe in the moving dusk and dapple of green woods. They were trained to pick out of shadows birds that were themselves dun-colored shades, and to see among trees the animals that are colored like the bark of trees. The hare crouching in the fronds was visible to him and the fish that swayed invisibly in the sway and flicker of a green bank. He would see all that was to be seen, and he would see all that is passed by the eye that is half-blind from use and want. At my life he came on last swimming in a pool, and as he looked on them sporting in the flush tide, he thought that the tricks they performed were not hard for him, and that he could have shown them new ones. Boys must know what another boy can do, and they will match themselves against everything. They did their best under these observing eyes, and it was not long until he was invited to compete with them and show his mettle. Such an invitation is a challenge. It is almost among boys a declaration of war. But Fion was so far beyond them in swimming that even the word master did not apply to that superiority. While he was swimming, one remarked, he is fair and well-shaped, and therefore he was called Fion, or the Fair One. His name came from boys, and will perhaps be preserved by them. He stayed with these lads for some time, and it may be that they idolized him at first, for it is the way with boys to be stunned and enraptured by feats. But in the end, and that was inevitable, they grew jealous of the stranger. Those who had been the champion before he came would marshal each other, and by social pressure would muster all the others against him, so that in the end not a friendly eye was turned on Fion in that assembly. For not only did he beat them at swimming, he beat their best at running and jumping, and when the sport degenerated into violence, as it was bound to, the roughness of Fion would be ten times as rough as the roughness of the roughest rough they could put forward. Bravery is pride when one is young, and Fion was proud. There must have been anger in his mind as he went away leaving that lake behind him, and those snarling and scowling boys, but there would have been disappointment also, for his desire at this time should have been towards friendliness. He went thence to Lochleyn and took service with the king of Fintray. That kingdom may have been thus called from Fion himself, and would have been known by another name when he arrived there. He hunted for the king of Fintray, and it soon grew evident that there was no hunter in his service to equal Fion, 
More there was no hunter of them all who even distantly approached him in excellence. The other ran after deer using the speed of their legs, the noses of their dogs, and a thousand well-worn tricks to bring them within reach, and often enough the animal escaped them. But the deer that Fion got the track of did not get away, and it seemed even that the animal sought him so many did he catch. The king marveled at the stories that were told of this new hunter, but as kings are greater than other people, so they are more curious, and being on the plane of excellence, they must see all that is excellently told of. The king wished to see him, and Fion must have wondered what the king thought, as that gracious lord looked on him. Whatever was thought, what the king said was as direct in utterance as it was in observation. If Uwail, the son of Fushkina, has a son, said the king, you would surely be that son. We are not told if the king of Intrai said anything more, but we know that Fion left his service soon afterwards. He went southwards, and was next in the employment of the king of Kerry, the same lord who had married his own mother. In that service he came to such consideration that we hear of him as playing a match of chess with the king, and by this game we know that he was still a boy in his mind, however mightily his limbs were spreading. Able as he was in sports and huntings, he was yet too young to be politic. But he remained in politic to the end of his days, for whatever he was able to do he would do, no matter who was offended thereat and whatever he was not able to do, he would do also. That was Fionn. Once as they rested on a chase, a debate arose among the Fiona Finn as to what was the finest music in the world. Tell us that, said Fionn, turning to Oshin. The cuckoo calling from the tree that is highest in the hedge, cried his merry son. A good sound, said Fionn. And you ask her, he asked. What is to your mind the finest music? The top of music is the ring of a spear on the shield, cried the stout lad. It is a good sound, said Fion, and the other champions told their delight. The belling of a stag across water, the baying of a tuneful pack heard in the distance, the song of a lark, the laugh of a gleeful girl, or the whisper of a moved one. They are good sounds all, said Fion. Tell us, chief, one ventured, what do you think? The music of what happens, said Great Fion. That is the finest music in the world. He loved what happened, and would not evade it by the swerve of a hair. So on this occasion, what was occurring, he would have occurred. Although a king was his rival and his master, it may be that his mother was watching the match and that he could not but exhibit his skill before her. He committed the enormity of winning seven games in succession from the king himself. It is seldom indeed that a subject can beat a king at chess and this monarch was properly amazed. Who are you at all? He cried, starting back from the chessboard and staring at Fion. I am the son of a countryman of the lineage of Tara, said Fion. He may have blushed as he said it, for the king possibly for the first time was really looking at him, and was looking back through twenty years of time as he did so. The observation of a king is faultless. It is proved a thousand times over in the tales, and this king's equipment was as royal as the next. You are no such son, said the indignant monarch. 
but you are the son that mourned me and my wife bore to Uel Macbalashni. And at that Fionn had no more to say, but his eyes may have flown to his mother and stayed there. You cannot remain here, his stepfather continued. I do not want you killed under my protection, he explained or complained. Perhaps it was on Fionn's account he dreaded the sons of Mona. But no one knows what Fionn thought of him, for he never thereafter spoke of his stepfather. As for Morny, she must have loved her lord or she may have been terrified in truth of the sons of Morna and for Fionn. But it is so also that if a woman loves her second husband, she can dislike all that reminds her of the first one. Fionn went on his travels again. End of chapter 8